This week on Trek, Mary Kill. Buffers, brains, tickles. Next. All hail the king. What the hell? An entity has somehow trapped our ship. That's disappointing. And turned the crew into characters from the children's book. The book. They have made you the hero. Until we undo all of this. Kneel before me. Yes, of course. We are stuck here. If you should fall in battle. I will sing an epic song. Great. Trek, Mary, kill. Hi, I'm Brian. And I'm Kristen. Welcome to Trek, Mary, Kill, the first Star Trek podcast to have been created by a Boltzmann brain. What the hell am I talking about? Well, more like, what do we mean by that? Because I'm talking with Kristen about the Elysian Kingdom, the eighth episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds first season, written by Akila Cooper with Anitra Johnson, the writer's assistant, congrats, and uh, directed by Amanda Rowe. Kristen, do you want to do the synopsis for this one or what? <laughs> I can give it my best shot. We're just going to tell you at the top, this is a wild one. We're not going to spoil the ending till later because it is insane. In fact, I, I would dare to say there's like two episodes here. But okay, the synopsis. The Enterprise is in front of, finds itself in front of a big nebula, right? And... Or something. They don't know what it is. Whatever. It, it's all very pretty and looks like fluffy um, candy clouds. And Dr. Mabenga, as we know previously, has a secret daughter in a trans the medical transporter buffer that he's keeping there so that he can try to find a cure for her incurable, deadly disease. And he has not found it yet. But during an experiment... He's mixing some chemicals and some like blow up, literally blow up in his face. And he feels a little weird about this. But then, oh, I, I maybe should start that they were, he was reading the, his daughter, her favorite story called The Elysian Kingdom. It's like a little fantasy novel. Yeah, it's pretty dense. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's probably a little bit too involved for a little kid. Especially one who's dying, allegedly. Yeah, and she's like, what, seven? Yeah, but she doesn't look too worse for the wear whenever we see her. Even yeah, though she says her time is running out. Yep. Basically, like something, ha- wait, it doesn't, like something hits the Enterprise and um, Ortegas is knocked unconscious. Dr. Mabang is asked to go to the bridge to assess her wounds. And when he gets there, um, everybody is like dressed as a court gesture, jester, and he's now in the story the elysian kingdom and nobody knows nobody realize none of the crew except dr mabanga and hammer are realizing they're in a story and then then it just plays out the plot of the of the book this is basically star trek strange new world's attempt at doing the princess bride kind of yeah, I have not seen The Princess Bride, um, so you're, I'm going to have to take your word on that one. What? Yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> what the, what the Look, hell? I get, the, I, get this, I get this reaction a lot. I expected it's this. The, it's the only logical reaction to this. What the I, look, I, 
I have I can't answer for it. I just haven't seen it. I've come into this. I feel uh, like episode. now watching it. If I were to watch it as an adult, there would be no charm to it. Now I would just think it was a stupid movie. So I feel like that ship has sailed. I thoroughly, completely disagree. The movie is all charm. It's anyway. Wow, I did not expect that was not the wildest thing I expected to hear in this episode. Recounting what happens at the end of <laughs> yeah. this episode was what I still thought would be number one. But you say yeah. you've never seen The Princess Bride. Number one with the bullet. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, what uh, year yeah, did so, it come out? That's probably seven, maybe uh, eighty-eight. I, I'm not quite sure. It's it's a great movie though. It's funny. Uh, it's just it is in 1987 you're right okay all right I was was a little young to have caught that in theaters well I didn't see it in a theater I saw one was on cable at my grandparents house (laughs) um yeah I had cable as a kid I did not catch this one I'm sorry highly recommended only 98 minutes and yeah this is like perfect kid length (laughs) but it's not a kid's movie it that's the funny part it's not yeah I would think maybe younger people like it, but older people will appreciate it too. It's anyway, this is princess bride essentially without the, I don't know. The humor is that feels very much, very modern. So I don't know. It's them taking a wild swing on their eighth episode, the first season reminiscent of many, many, I'm stepping on my own uh, nominees here for best Trek tropes, but we've seen many episodes of star Trek where something wacky is going on on the enterprise and it gets turned into something else, transmogrified mm-hmm. or whatever. The crew is mis- you know, behaving differently because they're possessed, or something's controlling their, you know, controlling them and all that. I like that. Yeah. That's that's great. It was very familiar. It, yeah, like every yeah yeah that is absolutely one hundred percent within the wheelhouse of Star Trek. I have no complaints about that whatsoever. I mean, like we can talk. You know, we we can debate it all you want the ending which we will get to is where the shit hits the fan and it literally left me just going what <laughs> what but this is another we had talked about this in elementary dear data but this is i would consider this a fantasy episode yes the types of tv outside, episodes yeah outside of the typical plot of star trek although this definitely has plot points and ramifications like big ones um and start and the best star trek episodes usually do that anyway but the the way it's the ending is is a little too much this uh, episode also concludes the longest child abuse arc in star trek's history <laughs> spanning multiple episodes so <laughs> one of the reasons why i made sure to juggle our schedule to make sure that you were with this one is because I'm not a parent. So this is like okay. very much like I needed, I couldn't just be going like, meh, 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 because I'm not a parent. So I don't have any weight on like none of the kid, the parent parental kid stuff has as much weight to me yeah. beyond logic. Also, so, I would like to say that I am not one of those people who thinks that because you're not a parent, you don't get to weigh in on parental stuff. Um, you were a child at one point you had parents. So therefore you have some experience uh, with what is absolutely out of this world bonkers and not. I think you're in the minority on that too. <laughs> oh yes, I know. I know. I know. It's like, I don't want to hear it. If you're not, a, if you don't have a kid, I'm like, well, I don't know. Like there's people who are like child psychologists who don't have any kids. Like, you know, tell them not to weigh in on something. I don't mean to offend. I know I will be. And I apologize. I'm, not, I'm but I'm saying 
it's not totally offensive. It just sounds offensive. But in my mind, they're the two most selfish people on planet Earth are smokers and parents. And <laughs> smokers, in part, it's a choice that leads to an addiction. And parents, by choice, that leads to them having the responsibility of, of taking care of a life, preventing a life from dying. So I understand, like, I understand the context for how decisions get made and what happens. But I also do think about it. And I'm like, I've certainly been around parents with their kids and strollers. And it's like, they would run over other kids to protect their kids, or they would have no qualms killing me. To get, and it's like, I get it. But it's also sort of like, I, I think it's a weird for a story dynamic weighing the the real part of being a parent onto a dramatic story with characters you know and relationships that exist as a drama in a fictionalized world it's like it's one you know having your cake and eating it too essentially is at any time if you were to confront what these star trek episodes are about it's like well it's based in part on real life except for the parts that make people uncomfortable then you get to just say it's a tv show and we see a lot of that in this episode i think but mainly for this mm -hmm. entire arc with Mabenga, it's basically starting from the idea of like, wouldn't it be cool if he had a sick daughter <laughs> and we use the transporter buffer as a way of like him trying to treat her disease. He's a desperate parent. Everyone understands mm -hmm. what it means to be a desperate parent. By the way, they're taking, this is what's tough about so many Star Trek stories, but it's also weirder still that the desperate father with the sick dying girl, it's even a black family. This was in Star Trek into darkness. They're just changing some of the elements of it, but the setup mm -hmm. is still the mm -hmm. same. And in that one, that guy was willing to commit a nine 11 basically. Yeah. <laughs> and then this one, he's willing to risk our entire show um, for his sick daughter and the transporter buffer. So I don't know. I understand like intellectually what it means, like as a parent, what, where you're willing to go with it. I just think in the storyline, it's very hard for me not to see it from the perspective of someone observing him because I'm the viewer of the show. I'm saying it seems like it's child abuse. seems like her. Well, this is, I think, is this the first time we learned that um, actually his daughter really does not enjoy being in the transport in the in the buffer and really just wants to go walk around the ship a little bit? Yes. And she's very, very lonely. We get a scene earlier in one of the episodes she's like, do i have what? to go back into the yes. buffer like she hates it but there was an episode either one or two before where he basically has to like wrap it up quickly and sort of beams her away and it's kind of horrific you know it's it's very sudden i think is the thing and um in this one it's kind of a little more melancholy when he's like okay i've read the story time to go to sleep um but yeah it is it's it's a it's kind of a horrifying idea that's not played that way and it and that's a choice too. And um, yeah, it just doesn't sit well with me. A couple of straight thoughts and then we'll go to the greats. A couple of things being that, again, this was written, co-written by Onitra Johnson, the writer's assistant. She named the Larissian Nebula. That's the nebula that they're at at the beginning. Named it after her daughter. Uh, she has, I think, a similarly aged child. And uh, she decided to name the nebula, nebula after her. Christina Chong is on. She, uh, we, this is going to be tough, Kristen, because I did not write down the names of all the Elysian Kingdom uh, equivalent character names. But uh, Laon. Oh, I don't think it matters. A, yeah, Laon plays a princess who has a dog. That dog is mm -hmm. Christina Chong's real life dog named. 
Runa Ewok. She has an Instagram. I just have to oh. point out. <laughs> oh, I see. And so, probably, and, uh, probably way more followers than ours. And uh, <laughs> yes, for sure. And it get, has more posts for sure as well. And uh, and is that dog is on set all the time? I guess whenever she's on set too. So that must have. Oh, been that's fun. annoying. Oh my yeah, god. Yeah, must, must have been be fun so to <laughs> to integrate her into god. the story. We'll hate, get into that. Honestly, I hate it when people bring their dogs like everywhere they go. It's so like, I know everyone's like, oh, no, not my dog. No, your dog, too. <laughs> Unless it's like a trained service dog or, you know, emotional support animal. Leave it at home. Like, or it's like, a oh, I need to give medication on a certain schedule. Nobody likes your dog. Like, th- some people do, but most people are just trying to go to work. Like, don't bring your dog to work. I'm sorry. Adorable dog. Need to make it very great. clear. Doesn't great, matter. Not, not appropriate in a workplace. Great, great moment when the dog is is licking her her bosom or her chest <laughs> in the in the middle of the scene. Yeah. Thought it was funny, but also adorable. Um, should I mention? Should we get into the actor part of this now, or just go to the scenes, the 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 grades? Uh, I guess we'll go to the scenes. Yeah, we'll go to the. Let's do the grades. Okay. So great scenes. Okay, so like I was I'm not sure where this episode was going. So at the first, I pointed, I put down a great scene of Spock was reminding um, Doctor Pike or sorry, <laughs> let me say Doctor. that again, Doctor Pike. <laughs> I upgraded him. Yeah, he's yes. better doctor than Mabenga though. So that's true. So Spock Spock was reminding Captain Pike that he should probably be superstitious because he thought everything was going great. And that usually doesn't mean everything's going great. And you know what? Spock was right. But I was, so I was dying over Anson Mount's hair and his whole outfit and just like the <laughs> whole thing of him being this cowardly, how would you even put like, I don't even know like how to describe his character, but like a useless like page boy. Yes. Who's a character in this book. And like Mabenga goes on the bridge and then there's just Anson Mountain, his hair parted down the middle in the, that weird page boy style. And I was like, oh my God, this is hilarious. I like this. This is funny. <laughs> I was dying. Like my husband was watching too. And he was like, this is amazing. This is a great episode. And then you know what? It turns out we were wrong. Um, <laughs> and then like, but we're not sure if Mabenga is hallucinating until we see Hammer being dragged down the hallway and going like, Dr. Mabenga, help me. I don't know. I was in engineering and these uh, guards just stole me. And like, they're trying to take him away. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then like, I like Hammer in this episode a lot. He tries to play along with the weird fantasy of it. But like the explanation is his telepathic training made him, uh, made the nebula not be able to influence him or something which would seem to mean that the the uh, nebula would then not be able to use him as part mm-hmm. of the story and yet he is still somehow part of the story but okay whatever yeah. he needed to be so there we go <laughs> and um nurse chapel still bad at her job in in the storybook she yes. plays like a weird healer who's in, like a on wood, drugs or something heal, yeah a wooden healer yeah like a place. you know like yeah. a witch basically we, <laughs> we, we would call it a witch okay and also i liked uhura is the queen the evil queen queen um Nev. and no relation yeah Nev queen Nev. Nev. Mm-hmm. no that we're aware of anyway mm-hmm. um but then you know 
things start to take it. I mean, look, lots of fun and games. Oh, it's a little quest. Dr. Babanga plays the king. Uhura plays a rival queen and they're trying, she's trying to take over his kingdom. And it's just a lot of funny stuff that happens. A lot of goofy stuff. And then it starts to get a little bit serious. Very quickly. Um, Very quickly, because it turns out, dear listener, that, um, so Mabenga figures out that, oh, this isn't actually going the way it is in the story. This is the way that I think my daughter would have the story go. And it turns out the nebula sensed Mabenga's daughter's loneliness and like cured her of her disease and took her out of the trans uh, the transporter buffer and then let her play story time on the ship by turning everybody into a storybook character and brian do you want to tell us <laughs> <laughs> well in which we're also led to believe that they will be like they can be physically harmed like there's a it's not just like uh matter has been reorganized and and they're Mm -hmm. and they're under a spell essentially but also they can be hurt they can be wounded all that stuff they they skip the trek trope of someone being injured and that being a ticking clock whatever but yes uh the the big theory idea in this is that something called a boltzmann brain which is a real scientific theory that uh basically a spontaneous highly organized brain has appeared in this nebula and it sensed, or when it looked at the Enterprise, it found Nakia Mabenga in the transporter buffer. Says she's imprisoned. <laughs> Very interesting. Like the, mm-hmm. the the word choice is 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 underlying the uh, underlining the abuse thing that I was bringing up. But basically, like imprisoned, trapped, her life's being cut short because the father won't let her go. We're trying to talk about great scenes, but we're talking about it's kind of hard. All the fun and games you mentioned. Um, yeah. Real quick. Yes. It, I it's totally hard. Agree. There's an elephant in the room here. Yes. The, nor- the normal scene of Spock and Pike on the bridge where Pike's like, hey, this is pretty chill. I like it when things are chill. And Spock's like, mm-hmm. you always say don't jinx things, Captain. Um, and, yeah. you know, it's uh, he says, you have repeatedly told me that humans have a superstition for calling attention to good things out loud and then spikes uh, and then it's like pike knows he's not going to die here so it's almost like he's jinxing them on purpose because he's bored Mm -hmm. (laughs) but i I enjoyed that moment and i like exactly uh, the whole sequence that you said but benga goes to the bridge and it's been transformed and then we smash get to the credits i'm like this is all this was classic star trek it was all recognizable it all made sense it was fun it was whatever i also do have one scene though after the transformation has happened I have two scenes. I have two great scenes. And then can we talk about the elephant in the room? Because we should talk more. Okay. The two great scenes are after Hemmer has been captured and then Mabenga basically surrenders himself to uh, Queen Nev. They're all put in the prison, which is the transporter room. And I liked the scene because it's Mabenga and Hemmer, the only two normal people talking it out. And it sounded like a Star Trek scene where two officers are trying to figure out what the hell's going on. And then it ends with Hemmer for some reason, he had a blowtorch in his pocket the whole time, but didn't bother yeah. to free himself. He waited for the plot to for the characters in the game to come to him. And they're like, oh, I can get us out of here. So he cuts he then cuts the cage door out of the transporter room. And then the first person to bolt past all of them is the coward Pike. And I like mm-hmm. I just like that. I was like consistent, funny. That was great. And then the other part was the Ortega's fight 
leading to Pike <laughs> running away in fear, and then the <laughs> reveal of Una being the huntress when she knocks out a couple of people with bows, uh, with her bow and arrow. Um, I thought it was a nice little fight scene. Uh, Pike being a coward is funny. Uh, it worked for me. I, I, I dug it. And it has a great line in there, which I'll get to later. But yes, let's get to the reveal at the end. So, yeah, <laughs> this Boltzmann brain again has. And, and by the way, the Boltzmann brain is a consciousness. That's the theory. The nebula is a consciousness. And yet it also has the ability to heal Nakia's illness. But if Nakia leaves the nebula, then she will get the illness and die again, which yeah. to me seems like great. We've, we've reset the clock to zero. Now I can find her because the choice being, or now I can have more time to find a cure because the choice being presented to Mabanga is not she's cured. Now go and, and live the rest of your life as much as you can. It's stay here or she mm-hmm. dies. That's the binary. There's an, and so should Mabanga just leave his daughter with this nebula? He leaves it up to her to decide. There's never he never entertains the offer of himself staying. Like that never comes into yeah. it. Why wouldn't he stay with his kid? It's a weird capper to the end of the storyline where you've got a desperate father who goes to this extreme measure that threatens the entire crew at any given moment to find a cure. Mm-hmm. In the in um in in previous episode, he like thought he maybe had found a scientist to help him work on it. So you thought this would be solved by science. I thought that idea is like a criticism, but then I remember his whole point is somewhere out here is the cure for her. And I guess we shouldn't be too particular what form that takes, but it's a bit of a bummer. It's not like they find a cure. It this is the cure, and um, and also, she's kind of like how, oh, it ahead. doesn't make any sense to me though. The like, whole thing is cured now. Sense. Yes. Yeah. It's, so you it's have to block, okay. And then, and this is the part I actually have the most problem with. So he's, he leaves it up to her. Do you want to join the nebula? Be one with the nebula or, and you know, you get to kind of live your consciousness will be there. Or do you want to go back in the buffer? <laughs> and the seven-year-old <laughs> decides to go to the nebula. Now I don't have a seven-year-old. My kid is only three, but if I left anything up to him, he would eat, well, he, he, would, he would eat nothing but cupcakes, cookies, and quesadillas, and, and graham crackers. That's it. And he would stay at a, pl- he'd stay at a playground all night. Overnight. He'd probably sleep there. So me leaving something up to my kid is like, like a big decision such as that seems kind of weird. But also, Mabanga is such a weird controlling parent. It also seems completely out of character for him. That's what they kind of tr- they try to cram that in at the end, where he says, yeah, "I guess you were my Mercury Stone." Two minutes. Yes. Two minutes. <laughs> right. This all happens with two minutes. So he- uh, the Nebula uses Hemmer as a conduit to explain the whole thing, and because he's like, "Oh, you have to stop playing this game because people could get hurt. We have to go back to our lives," and then sh- that's when the Nebula's like, "Oh, I said she was lonely. She was trapped. Yada yada," and then she gets she decides to go to with the Nebula. Pause, she pause, gets pause. Absorbed I know this is going. Okay, hold on. <laughs> no, no, no. This is not a recording pause. Just like, a, hold on, just real quick before you get to that last turn, because I think that's the part for me that broke my brain. The This whole thing leading up to her decision, this whole thing leading up to her decision, it, it is a really problematic arc for a non-parent because it seems to me that all you've done is you've created a faux dramatic problem 
and you've got basically an angelic child at, at the center of it. She's the perfect kid. Oh, go to bed. I can just beam her away and she's not a problem anymore. He never actually mm-hmm. has to deal with the ramifications of his choices, uh, the emotional dimensions of that relationship, what he's doing to her. But he doesn't what- have to parent. He only reads her the same story. That's right. There's no so parenting. And and it's it just seems like um something if you were away from your kids a lot and you felt guilty about it that you would write something like this that that's what it felt a lot more like than <laughs> than an actual you're dealing with the the ramifications of of these choices and i think that's because this is kind of a dark storyline that they not bit off more than they in chew but sort of like mm-hmm. the implications of it once they got to shooting it and seeing how it played it, it kind of forced them into a situation where, okay, how do we resolve this in a way that isn't quite as gross as it's kind of playing, which leads us into the scene, the part of the scene that I think was written by the network. So, oh, you think you know, so? so? So what happens? So she decides okay. I'm going to go in the nebula. So keep going. Again, this happens over the course of two minutes. I'm And I'm being generous. It could be 90 seconds. Who knows? I, I didn't time it. So she goes to the nebula. Then she instantly comes back as a grown woman. And Mbenga says, how is this possible? Well, it's only been a couple of seconds for you, but for me and Deborah, the name of the nebula is Deborah. It has been years and we've had such adventures and such fun. Okay. First of all, that is not how time dilation works as far as I'm aware. Well, this is magical time dilation, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's a reverse time dilation. And it's nuts! (laughs) And Deborah is the name of her mother. So she's named the Nebula. I guess the Nebula doesn't have its own name, whatever. Like, me and Deborah have been having a blast. It is just to give him, like, some closure of, like, I made the right decision. That's And that's literally what she's there for. She literally says, you made the right decision. You made the right decision, Daddy. Yeah. And I'm happy and great and everything's fantastic and you did the right thing and you're amazing. Oh my god. Oh my god. I was like, why? Why? Why is this happening? This is like fun episode. You turn it into this absolute batshit insane thing of like, none of this makes sense. The last, I mean, that's not the last two minutes like they go into a supplemental, uh, um, a log and then we find out everyone on the board has lost five hours of time and like there's nothing on the security cameras yada yada you know the typical and only he remembers even Hammer doesn't remember anything which doesn't make any sense either so like he gives his daughter to the nebula she comes back to be like you made the right decision that is like such like god in the machine nonsense of like you painted yourself into a corner now you're trying to get yourself out of it like if you've I there are some like gr- old Greek plays written by hacks and they didn't understand how to like get out of a thing and they bring that's why they call it God of the Machine they bring him out God goes oh and everything's fine that's what it felt like it was just like very hacky very oh we don't know how to we have too many loose ends we can't have her go out into the nebula and then not find out what happens that makes him look like a bad parent he's already a bad parent by the way spoilers. Mm-hmm. so it doesn't make any sense <laughs> and they yeah, the, the time dilation thing is oh my god like 
What? The hilarious part is just how instantly it happens. He doesn't move. Like she disappears. He's still standing there. She comes right back. She's an older person. In his goofy outfit, right? His goofy, right. right. The nebula, oh, the ship doesn't come back to normal. Take up yeah. This stupid yeah. crown, the Burger King crown he's got on. I think he's he cries in that moment, and she comes back yeah. and says everything's fine. He's like, okay, and then it's like, and then it's fine. <laughs> and then and so th- I think that's part of the thing that's bothering me about this whole storyline. It's all very pat. It's like it's very clean, very smooth edges. She never looks sick. You know, she never acts sick. There's never any sort of jeopardy there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all we're taking our word for this this nutty guy who's willing to lie for you know for any reason and risk the whole ship i don't really believe their father daughter in some parts but the other part is just like it it just felt so ridiculous on top of what was up to that point a ridiculous episode and it makes you realize like that was all a distraction to kind of get you like puff you up so that when this part brings you down you're still riding the dopamine high essentially of all the Mm -hmm. goofiness that this is like, ah, instead of a, wait, what? So, <laughs> I will yeah. say wa- watching the episode, not at midnight and watching it. I watched, I watched it four times for this episode just to wow. make sure I was like giving it a fair shake. Cause oh you know, my goodness. It, and it's like, so I, it made it no easier way. to, yeah, it just made it easier. Well, I, well, once you know the ending's coming, it makes it a lot easier. <laughs> so what was the moment that really like, like melted your face off? Was it the, was it the I'm going to go into the nebula when she says it tickles daddy or or when she comes right back as an adult? I hmm. Let's see. I. When did my brain start to melt? You know, it was I. OK, leave her in the nebula so she could have fun. I think, yeah, it, I think it was when she came back as an adult. And listener, I it's, but, it's but my, my mouth was, yeah, my mouth was open the whole time. I was like, huh? I should have timed it from the it tickles daddy to the her reappearing as an adult. It, I don't mm. if it was more than a minute, I'd be very surprised. But it's it's like 30 seconds. Um, We've had such adventures. <laughs> it's a what, whiplash. What kind of event, like what? I don't. Yeah, it's. uh also a lot of stuff. So the a lot of other things just start to come up, not just about Mabenga, but sort of even his decision making. And what are we supposed to be trusting here? The music, you know, or just like the fact that we're watching the show. But, you know, the entity is saying that she's imprisoned. You know, it, it's basically characterizing what's been happening as a as not as a net negative, but like as a terrible thing that's been happening mm-hmm. to his child. Yeah. OK, so he, she. How do we know that this nebula is how Deborah's intentions are? Are Deborah's intentions pure? Could could it be malevolent to the ship? Oh, it wasn't malevolent. It just turned it into her storybook where people could still get hurt. How do we know that it this thing wasn't yeah. telling the truth? How do we like, know it was, yeah, yeah. What, what if it could it, have been a if, Venus what if, it's a, what if it's a child predator nebula? We don't know. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> a child but sex still, offender nebula. We don't know. He's he's so willing to shed to, to shed the problem of having her in the buffer, though. <laughs> like it never seems like he I, actually cares about her. He, he's it's all about the problem of fixing her, of taking care of her. But it's not has nothing to do with her as a person. She's a problem to be solved. 
and this was a solution. And then it, he gets let off the hook of the emotional component when she comes back and gives him the whole cheerleading routine of, you're amazing, mm-hmm. yay. See, I don't have a kid, but as a kid who's had parents where it's like, you're a problem to be solved, that part I can relate to. <laughs> yeah. Like, all right, well, all right. Yeah. All right, best Trek tropes. <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean, there were, okay. So I said, you know, a weird costume fantasy episode. I mean, that's very Star Trek. There's lots of Star Trek episodes where the crew gets into weird costumes and it's fun. And I like that. And I also like, and then they get the set designers get to do all kinds of weird stuff to the set, but it's still Star Trek. Um, It's fun. Like that stuff is fun. Like the whole episode was fun up until that part. One of the things that the Paramount Plus era has done is robbed us of the after the after the episode ends and there's a little commercial break, you get a next week preview of the episodes, and we don't get those anymore. We have to watch. Well, we don't have to watch. You have to then wait for the next morning for the Ready Room to go live on YouTube, and then you can scrub through that to the near Mm -hmm. the end, and he'll give you like a little. Yeah, it'll give you like a little preview of the episode. And I remember very clearly that the preview for this one starts with it's just Mabenga walking onto the bridge after everyone's transformed. And it's just a part of that. And and with the music and the look and everything, I remember watching it very clearly on my computer. Thanks, Paramount Plus. I could watch it on my TV. And I gasped with delight. I was like, yes, I love when Star Trek does this. Um, mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's, it Me could too. be. It could be their own version of a holodeck episode, right? The, the holodeck mishap. But also there's like the dress up angle, Cupid, when uh, Q turns, sends them into the Robin Hood story. Mm-hmm. You've got masks where it's like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> where, the, where the Enterprise gets taken over by an alien archive. Um, Deep Space Nine even had kind of a version of this where like a, an artifact from the Delta Quadrant gets brought, or sorry, the Gamma Quadrant gets brought to the station and then it like the psychic basically like a, a historical uh, revolution or or civil war kind of plays out on the crew like the uh, spirits uh the vibes kind of break out <laughs> it's called dramatis persona i think it's in season one those are just off the top of my head were the kind of not reminding me of but like similar ideas and i know there are yeah. more. and even without like the costume stuff there's lots of episodes where the characters have to play like the actors have to play different characters or different version of themselves. Our Um, man Bashir. Like there's a, yeah, there's like, yeah, there's a deep space nine episode where it's like kind of an alternate reality. Um, with yeah, Dr. Bashir's there and I forget all the other stuff, but you like, everyone's like different person. Yeah. You're thinking of, I think far beyond the stars, maybe where it's like the 1950s. Um, no. Um, okay. What's the name? Oh, gosh, now I forget her name. The main Bajoran character on Deep Space Nine. Major Kira. Yeah, so she's like the boss of everybody, of like the space station. Oh, I see. So that's that's the Mirror Universe episode, yes. Uh, there's crossover. Okay. There's like a whole arc of those. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah but, then, but our man Bashir, that's when they all get beamed into the James Bond uh hol- holodeck <laughs> story and that one yeah. is actually pretty similar to this one and this is not a criticism of this one it's just like this that one is a lot more similar because that one it's the uh the cast the crew they can't 
behave more than what the program's telling them to. So they're not aware of what's happening to them. Like they are, like in this one, they're not aware either. Um, also, cloud beings. For uh, I like that as a oh best trip yeah. trope. Yeah. Um, the only one I could think of though was Nagilam from Star Trek: Next Generation season two, where Silence has lease, and in that one. Um, it's like a clutch cargo looking face where like only it's like a different eyes and different mouth and the mouth's just talking like, um, like on those old Conan bits where they do. And that one, they just, it's not the same. He doesn't take over the enterprise and transform it. He, he captures the enterprise and he wants to experiment on the crew. But, um, I like cloud entities in my Star Trek cloud entities and mm-hmm. dress up. That's great. I'm, I'm all for it. Yeah. Worst Trek tropes? Well, I put "Is it God?" because they weren't really sure what the nebula was all about. And I, I sometimes really don't like phenomenas that could be godlike. And I just kind of put down general grievances, not so much tropes. Um, Mabanga's talking to Hammer. He's like, "Well, you see, I read this story to my daughter." He looks at him like a daughter. He's like, "It's a long story." Yeah, it's a really long and horrible story. Of like, I've been a keeping my daughter captive and let's not get into it now hammer was suspicious of what mabenga was doing with the transporter and essentially yes. he finds out here mm-hmm. what's been going on and he immediately goes oh i i'm so sorry i'll help you and it's it it, it betrays the hammer character up to that point it, i think it's because yeah. again it's the cell so it's like to me i'm my idea was the most selfish people are parents and smokers I don't allow for the narcissism component, but the amount of narcissism built in, I guess, oh, if you're a parent, people just do what you say or else they're the asshole is <laughs> kind of like a weird yeah. angle. But that's what's happening. It's like Hemmer stops being Hemmer in that moment. It felt very cheap. Um, but am I stepping on yeah, the rest of your... There are a lot of people. <laughs> no, no, you're not. But there are a lot of people who become parents because they are narcissists and they just want adoration and undying love and loyalty from a small human and i would say that's not a good reason to get into the parenting business like if you expect any kind of gratefulness or any any gratitude or an unconditional love you're doing it wrong mabanga i tried to think of something as a worse trek trope in this one no shield percentages uh the boltzmann brain as a concept the Boltzmann brain is a concept I did some reading about and it's, it's a legitimate thing. I thought it had been sort of like a quack thing real quick. It isn't a worse one though, but I'm going to mention it here. Anyway, the Boltzmann brain is a thought experiment that suggests it might be more likely for a single brain to spontaneously form in a void complete with the memory of having existed in our universe, rather than for the entire universe to come about in the manner cosmologists think it actually did. So basically, like all the conditions for the universe as we understand it are so complex and they happen in the order that they did to create the world that we have. It, it's it's kind of absurd. And so it's more mm-hmm. likely mathematically, it's actually more likely that something like our brains would just form spontaneously. And that's what this is here. And I thought that's kind of a neat concept, to be honest. Um, yeah. And I think it it. It didn't bother me as that was the reason. I thought it just when we get to the ending, I just thought this is um, it's kind of like the least interesting uh, way of getting to this decision, not the storybook stuff leading up to it, 
which lacks tension and has other stuff I'm going to get to in the Shatner. But but it just mm-hmm. like once you get to the decision, it's exactly what you said. That whole scene happens so fast because they it feels like they're trying to rush through it. They're trying to yada yada the 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 point, the crux of the episode um, that it really just kind of fell flat as it, it let its own idea down, essentially. All right. Uh, most of its time quality. There was lots of really I counted um, twice. I think there was more, but yes. uh, there was actually at least three that I counted. There's one in the beginning that Captain Pike says, and I think then Hemmer says one, and then I think someone else says one. You had said earlier, you know, it's BuzzFeed level writing, but it also feels like because some of the stuff in a lot of these scenes are like, okay, this is pretty solid. I I understand what the point of the scene is, but it also feels like they throw in whatever the final draft equivalent of an Instagram filter is on these scenes mm-hmm. <laughs> that adds yeah. the 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 not the jokes that aren't i am aware jokes. of what final draft is okay <laughs> well, that's for the that's for the listener um, okay you know, all, right, like, yeah. all these all these reallys and the the quirkiness of the jokes these are not um original jokes they're not in character jokes these are just borrowed jokes that are recycled through pop culture and it that's why i say it's like an instagram filter it's like we need to jazz this up what are some things that that funny people say or that are generally considered to be funny? How do we add those on to the end of these lines? Um, it just stood out in and they're trying to create this reality, right, of um, of of this fairy tale. And yet we still get some 2020 isms in there. Um, yeah, that was what I had too. we could say that um, every episode, though. We've been saying yeah, that. Every I know. I know. Like, we're just like, <laughs> I know. I feel like I'm de- I'm beating a dead horse at this point but it it's true uh in dialogue they talk about sending ravens as a way of communicating so it's very game of thrones obviously yeah that's true and also there's a same-sex couple in the uh, the character una is playing and then the character ortegas is playing are together or it's alluded the to. Story, and, it's and a like, man and a woman. The story they're not. So I, well, here's what I think is really funny. So it's supposed to be the little seven-year-old's story. And she ships two characters in the story who never meet each other in the book. And then they're like talking about, oh yeah, we know each other very intimately. Wink, wink, wink. And I th- find that kind of strange. Well, what is she learning in the... Have. What is she learning in the pattern buffer? <laughs> but maybe maybe that was the nebula's portion (laughs) that was deborah was like (laughs) let's ship these two characters that's right like so basically the whole story is like a fan fiction of the little girl right which is done in a way that is very modern sounding too yeah i mean we know each other very 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 well (laughs) the line must be drawn here Great lines. I, I have, perhaps you did indeed jinx it. Yes. And you know what? I think he did. There's a scene where um, Spock is as this, I don't know what the hell his name is, character is, but he's basically this long-haired um, weirdo wizard. wizard who's supposed to be Henry's brother. Okay, yeah, whatever. And he's talking about having to be led across the swamp and then Captain Pike says, Ooh, that's not a good swamp. Because he's the worst, absolute worst coward. 
And then um, after Hammer beams the bad guys into the transport bay, to everyone's amazement, Ortega says, I like this science. Because they don't know what science is. They don't have science. Right. I mean, they do, but they don't call it that. Yeah, and Hammer even says, I'm going to use some magic called science. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, So Ortega in this one is, I guess, his, his personal guard, maybe? That's what she plays, and she's the swordsman and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And and she's annoyed the entire time by Pike's cowardice. And uh, so one of her lines, um, this is after Pike suggests they approach Queen Nev with diplomacy rather than you know going in with swords mm-hmm. swinging. And she says to him, I'm sorry, but we need the Mercury Stone, and it's hard to hear over the sound of your trembling boots. I liked that, and I liked mm-hmm. when... Um, the other uh, bridge officer, whose name I don't know still, um, when they attack Ortega, <laughs> Ortega steps up to them to fight, and she says, you are unarmed, and then one person charges Ortega, she beats them up, and then she grabs the guy's sword, and she goes, I have armed myself. <laughs> I like that. And then um, and then I, I like It Tickles Daddy, because it says so much about so many things. Uh, the fact that it's a giggle and she's like, it tickles daddy. <laughs> it's like, he's watching her be absorbed and dissolve and, mm-hmm. and float away out a window. And it's just, uh, so Akila Cooper was one of the writers on this episode. She wrote the hit movie, Megan that came out earlier this year. And it's just one of those things where it's like, that had to have been her line because saying the weird thing at the, at, at the most emotional time is such a horror movie trope. And I kind of would have, wanted this episode to feel more horrific but i think the idea that they're dealing with the kid you know you've got network people absolutely being like we can't do that we can't do that (laughs) um so those those are my lines though it tickles daddy is kind of an all-timer you know people talk about spock's brain as being the worst episode of the original series which the show will get to at some point and and raise the debate raise the ask the question but i think it tickles daddy is one of the worst lines in the history of star trek but it's worth okay. it's a great line for this episode. So <laughs> the Anton Caridian Award for Best Performance. Good luck, Kristen. <laughs> I enjoy I want I don't know if I'm gonna say it's the best, but I thought that like everyone was having a great time. But I thought that Laon's character was like sufficiently annoying in like the right way. Oof. Cause it's against type, but um, I don't know. I really don't have one for this one. I'm sorry. So if you, again, didn't I mean, watch Pike's the episode, cowardice was very nice. Like that's, it was funny. It was funny. And he was funny in certain parts of it. Uh, can we just combine the two categories? You know what? I am going to give someone an Anton Critian award. Celia Rose Gooding as queen Nev was great. Yeah. Because I think she exuded fairy tale, evil queenness. Yes, regalness and power, and was, you know, all of them. Also, her nails alone, I think she probably deserves. Yeah, her basically her what is it, uh, sparkling corn chips fingernails. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But yeah, but she was great, great performance, uh, big but not so big as to be distracting. Like she played a part, I thought, and I kind of give an honorable mention on that same line to Jess Bush for her little wood nymph. Uh, healer character like mm-hmm. both of them felt like they were playing a character which leads us into the Shatner everyone else felt like they were doing bad improv and hamming it up 
And oh, everyone. Oh, uh, like the, not a piece of scenery was left unshoot. Let's be well, honest. But I, I, I actually, I gave it specifically to the red coats or whatever the, you know, the red cloaks, whoever <laughs> are supposed to be patrolling the forest. <laughs> what? <laughs> look, look, like Out of all the performances. In the episode. <laughs> I thought it was especially hammy, but I, you know. I mean, I, I'm I'm happy to be wrong. I mean, listen, this is the other like there there's a twofold issue with this episode, and I just want to make it clear, neither of us are talking about is this Star Trek or not. It's like watching it, there's like two problems. You've got this weighty subject wrapped up in clown show bullshit. And it's like, <laughs> And it's and it, it's like I get it. The actors are tired and they get to have fun and and play against character and all that. I thought. Listen, I I'm wrong on this now. I clearly see that. I thought when you're making a TV show of any kind that you're trying to create a reality and that while people are watching it, they're suspending disbelief and you are trying you to think, get them to just. You think this one broke too many Wells laws on this one? I, There's I too think much what, stuff that we have to suspend disbelief. I'm I'm watching Anson Mount. I'm uh-huh. I'm watching Christina Chung. I'm not watching Anson Mount as Captain Pike playing this part. Uh, you know, Jess Bush is playing a part. Whatever the tone of the episode is, that's not my issue. But like, she's playing a part. Silly Rose Gooding is playing a part. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, once Ohura and uh, Chapel get transformed they become they actually do become something to mm-hmm. to his credit a little bit ethan peck as uh as spock as uh pollux or he kind of is too but everyone else is like you know a lot of the reactions and a lot of that stuff it's like it's what you do when you give actors it's how actors behave when you say they can improv most actors cannot improv mm-hmm. and most actors when they are given the reign to be funny that's how it comes out. So yeah. I think for a lot of people, they just watch stuff and they're entertained and they don't whatever. I think I'm just like bringing too much personal experience of like, I've either been that actor or I've watched that actor or I've seen all that. And there's just something nails on the chalkboard about a lot of that stuff. But I highlighted two Pike moments of him playing a coward that were hilarious because mm-hmm. they were actually hilarious. But around all that was just so much stuff where it's like, no one was bothering to rein it in. I thought Christina Chong doing the singing and twirling like a princess, like that was all sort of the point to your point about it being the playing against the type of on. I mean, the actor really loved doing this because she's like, all I got, all I've been playing all year is trauma and drama. So getting to un- mm-hmm. loosen up Wolfsters. and do something, whatever. Yes, exactly. It was so ridiculous in that it was set up written and directed as like this is what it is instead of like this is part of a story am i making sense like here is now an, a scene where the actors will ham it up here's another scene where the actors will mm-hmm. ham it up and it had no weight and once you get to the ending then you go what the hell was all that before that was just actors are hamming it up to distract you it's just you know clowns juggling so you don't notice that they're dragging yeah. the body to the car. Like, what's going on? Like it's, it's just like an elaborate ruse. And it and it just felt flat for me in the moment. And again, watching it four times, it was like, okay. So just a lot of the reactions and all that stuff were just not grounded in any sort of, even the faux reality that they were trying to create. It was all very much like, can you believe this? I'm in a TV show and I'm in this weird story. So I'm going to behave this way. And, and that's what bothered me a lot. Okay. 
I I think I got more worked up about that this time around than that ending. But my God, that ending. <laughs> yeah, I. Oof. Oof, what oof, part oof. of this are they teaching at Starfleet Academy? Not a damn thing. I hope. Well, the, the Boltzmann brain. Well, they can't teach the Boltzmann brain is real unless unless Mabenga decides to come forward and say, mm-hmm. "Hey, so I did a thing." And uh, yeah, <laughs> put my mm-hmm. daughter in the transporter buffer. Yeah. Turns out that works. <laughs> and uh, just go to this nebula if you need your kid's terminal illness cured because uh, mm-hmm. Deborah needs some friends. Nothing creepy about that. Deborah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but the Boltzmann brain being real. Too bad they won't teach it because now I just remembered that no one has any memory of this incident happening. Yeah. That's why I put not a damn thing how a discovery deal with this well they probably don't have i put that they probably don't have a secret daughter that they're holding hostage they don't no (laughs) (laughs) i i don't know i mean they'd they'd ham it up just just like this crew did so the discovery does have episodes essentially in the mirror universe and it's so the it's our main cast playing their evil counterparts and not a bit of that scenery is missed and in, in the eating in the chewing <laughs> and um and they do it a lot and they go back they revisit it in season three i think even so it's like it's a it's definitely a thing so i think with when it comes to strange new worlds and discovery as the what would the predecessor show do kind of a safe bet maybe because they're even made by the same people it's like it would probably turn out pretty similarly you know someone's niece or nephew would be on the ship <laughs> and they'd be like your mom won't be happy but i gotta but she won't be happy in the short term but in the long run she'll see that i made the right choice or something yeah. and it would it would do that because it seems like everyone is pretty well on board with like this is how the storyline has to end so however you get there Whew. so this is the second in episode in three where a kid dies because I can't read that what that ending as anything other than a kid dying. He's letting go of his terminal child. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how you read that as anything other than that, even though you can textually argue, well, she's not dead. She's alive. Her brain is alive in the nebula, which is almost yeah, a distinction just, without a like, difference. Yeah. It's just a way to justify it. I think to Mabenga. Yeah. Like, He's, she's not really dead. She's so happy. She got to have a lovely life, which is not really true, but okay. Like, that's not an actual life. Yeah. And I did everything I, mean, I could for her. You could have just, like, given her a great life the limited time you had left with her, but instead you kept her hostage in a transporter buffer for God knows how long. We don't even know how. Do we ever find out how long? I it's think a while. The- the diagnosis was a year. Who knows how long she had been in the buffer? I would think maybe the, maybe you would say like when Enterprise is in space dock in the very first episode, maybe that's when he put her in. I can't remember if they mentioned it, but yeah, I mean, what what's your view on twenty percent of your season revolve having stories revolve around kids dying? It doesn't matter to me, um, really, but it's a strange choice. I would say, but like, you know, kids die in real life. So they die like all the time. Fair (laughs) enough. Fair enough. It's a part of life, unfortunately. (laughs) But, but like I had already told you before we recorded that kids dying doesn't trigger me. 
um, especially in like a sci-fi show. So I think for some people, maybe they'd be, they'd find it distasteful, but well, so distasteful plus or shocking and intriguing and dramatic and it would hook them and it would be, they would be empathetic and they'd feel it and all that stuff. Cause yeah. I think this episode, a lot of people love it because the switcheroo works for them. The, their dopamine levels are up. And then when it gets to the sad ending, you know, whatever it's like, they're on board with it. I think my, the reaction is basically like, we love when the actors ham it up. We love when kids die when it's appropriately sad. Um, and we like that. We, but it's not even that sad because we never got to know this character. Right. Right. It's not exactly. that sad. It's and, not, it's and, just like that's that's what I think is so weird about it. It's like it's not like you killed off a beloved character. It's not that sad. So you kill. I mean, if you were trying to go for an emotional, a, a very emotional end of the episode, you failed miserably because I was just like, "What the fuck is that?" Instead of like, "Oh, I'm so sorry." Like, it's like who cares? We knew this was wrong. We don't know this character at all. Yes. It's not like if they killed Wesley Crusher after you know in the middle of the first season. Like we actually got to see him. We still spent more time with Wesley in the first episode that we spent. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Were you just being like yelled at by Picard? Yeah. And we don't care about that relationship. It's all, but we're all supposed to, because the screenwriting shorthand is essentially, you know, it's a parent, it's a kid, get it. Bing, bang, boom. Like that's the shortcut. And, and it's, I think it's just a big gamble. And uh, I think for some people that paid off, but for us, Trek, Mary or kill, did it pay off? No. Yeah. This is a kill. This is it's a kill. Like, yeah. Yeah. But listen, this is Star Trek. Like, and if you that's... just, it's hard for me. Okay. So I don't like, I would have been totally fine with this episode. I would have been like, this is a cute, fun episode, except for that ending. And like, we, I would have no problem with that. I'd be like, Oh, this was fun. It's like nice to have some levity. But that shit at the end is just, like, horrible. And, again, Trek, marry, or kill. We don't kill as, like, whatever. It's like Well, we're going to we send this Star episode Trek. off to be with Deborah. How about that? That's right. <laughs> it's not dead. It can live forever with Deborah. Look, look, it's coming right back, and it's telling us we did the right thing, and it's happy. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I am a hacky episode. <laughs> I have had so many adventures with my best friend, Deborah. As Definitely I... not a prayer, a predator. All right. So we've got a kill for strange new worlds. Mm-hmm. We've got a new episode coming next week. Be sure to uh, rate us, review us on uh, Apple podcasts. Yeah. Check Do you out dis- all- does anyone disagree with us? I don't know. I hope not. Yeah. You can add but... us on social media at Trek, Mary K pod on Twitter and Instagram. You can also check out the standings and, you know, all for all the episodes that we've done so far, trekmarykillpod.com. I do want to say before we go, um, I just realized that my hair right now looks exactly like Kate Mulgrew's in um, Voyager. Late season Voyager or pilot wig? Pilot. Long, pilot, yeah. long in the uh, Yeah, uh, bun. Yes, bun. Bun? Fantastic. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. This is, this is great news. So th- yeah. think of it as Captain Janeway just graded this just, episode. Just caught a glimpse of my reflection. I'm like, ah, there it is. And and before we started recording, I was drinking tea out of a Spock mug. So there, there we go. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Until next week, TMK out. Bye.